0: I would like to invite you to turn with me to today's scripture reading. It's found in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy. This is God's holy word.
1: I, I have come to believe that buildings and architecture are very important to us. Maybe more so than we think. I think that entire groups of people, societies, Cultures uh, can identify with structures with works of architecture. You know the French have the Eiffel Tower. I grew up outside of New York City and growing up in that uh, the Manhattan skyline was very familiar to me after nine eleven when the twin towers came down it It was not only shocking to us as Americans but but for for a person like me who had grown up always seeing that skyline it was Very disconcerting to drive home to visit my family and go past Manhattan and see that those buildings were gone. It was very distressing. We find identity and sometimes meaning in buildings. You you know, I I put up here the... This is Camden Yards to the lower left. Because as a New Yorker, I'm a Yankee fan, and and they call Yankee Stadium the house that Ruth built. I just, out of Christian love for you, I couldn't put a picture of Yankee (laughs) Stadium up. So I chose to go with Camden Yards, which I, I really love. I think it's a great place to go and watch a ball game. Don't let anybody else... I, I'll probably cut this out of the recording, but I actually like Camden Yards as a building better than the new Yankee Stadium. And, and you know, it's not as glamorous, but it's home here in Westminster. We have the clock tower, uh, which sits on top of the old fire station. And even though the, this is interesting, Even though the old firehouse as a building is privately owned, the clock tower is, the city still owns the clock tower itself. It is easement that the city owns. So the building is private. The clock tower on top of it, the city owns. So we kind of find a sense of identity in buildings. And and don't we do it with houses also, with our childhood homes? I found a picture not of my own home, but my grandmother's house. Growing up, now the picture I have for you is from the 1950s. I wasn't quite born yet. Uh, But I remember as a child going on Thanksgiving Day to my grandmother's house, and we would have Thanksgiving meal in her basement. You wouldn't necessarily think of having a holiday in a basement, but it was warm and cozy and familiar. And you develop memories uh, around your childhood homes. And so sometimes people visit, and you go, Oh, come here, I want to show you. This is the hallway where... This is the hallway where I learned how to walk. My parents told me, you learned how to walk right here, right over this carpet. You remember the color and the smell of that carpet? Or sometimes you go, oh, this is the sidewalk where I learned how to ride a bike. Or let me show you something else. Look at the staircase. See this first step? See, see that little stain of blood? I fell. I banged my forehead, split it open. I had to get stitches, but it happened right there. Or let, let me take you up to the attic. This is where I discovered where my parents had hid the Christmas presents. I found a Santa suit up here. Change my life. <laughs> Buildings mean something to us more than the, the steel and stone and wood uh, by which they're constructed. And we're focusing on a series where we look at what the New Testament has to say about Christian community. How in Christ, in God's family, we are connected to one another. And Jesus said to his disciples the night uh, he was betrayed, the night before he died, he said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and I in you, and apart from me, you can't do anything. And then we looked last week at Paul, the Apostle Paul, how he used the image of a human body with its many parts and organs and systems, and how the body, every part, needs every other part. And Paul said the church is like that. God's community is like that. It's like a human body. Well, now here we see the Apostle Peter in his letter compare the church to a building. And uh, the church is the house that God built. And in God's house, every person is chosen and every person is precious and every person is needed. Now, if you're a Christian... You're not a Christian by accident. According to what Peter's saying, it is no accident that you follow Jesus. He says that we are a chosen race of people. Regardless of our background or our language or our culture or race or ethnicity. And as you read Peter's words here, there's a strong sense of intentionality in what he's saying. And I don't mean his intentionality When I say it's no accident that you're a Christian, I don't mean that's by your intention, not your planning, but God's. Peter speaks of God as as a master architect and builder. Look at verse 5. He says to Christians, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. The phrase there are being built up. If you notice, it's passive, right? It's not active. It's a passive thing to say you're being built up. And that's the point is that this is something God has designed. This is something God has planned. And this is something that God has built. This is a community, Peter is saying, that's not established by human wisdom or worldly planning. It's a spiritual house. This means godly planning. This is built by God's means. He's the architect. And like every building, which every building needs a foundation, right? And, and every wall needs to be set on a cornerstone. That's Jesus. The foundation, Peter says, is Jesus. And the cornerstone is Jesus. So a cornerstone is necessary where two walls meet. A cornerstone is set at the base where two walls come together or think of an archways keystone uh, which locks all the other stones in the arch into place so that the archway can can bear weight can support weight you need that cornerstone for those two walls to stand and you need that keystone for that uh, for that archway to bear weight and so in verses six and seven and eight Peter references Old Testament prophets the Psalms and Isaiah to point out uh, that the Old Testament had foretold that Jesus of Nazareth, though he would be rejected, nonetheless would be God's indispensable cornerstone by which he would begin to rebuild humanity itself. And so putting it all together, verses 4 and 5, now in context, As you come to him, him being Jesus, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. God's intentionality here reveals purpose. Intent reveals purpose, not self-purpose, not your own purpose for what you want and what you do and your own purpose for how you perceive yourself and how you want other people to perceive you, God's purpose for you, God's purpose for us. And there are two places in in this passage that talk about God's purpose for this house that he's building. He's not just making a building so that everybody will be impressed with it, although that is kind of the idea. There's a purpose to the building that that God has designed. Verse 5 Peter says the reason you're being built up into a spiritual house is to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So there's kind of a temple image there of priests ministering in a temple. But then in verse 9, Peter talks more about God's purpose in building this house. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, what do priests do? Is this priestly language keeps coming up. Priests come into a temple and, and lead the community in worship. And priests intercede for everybody else. Priests offer sacrifices and prayers on behalf of the entire nation. That was the idea in the Old Testament. And Peter says, you know, the church is exactly like that. The church is a whole kingdom, a whole family of priest-like men and women. And their role, when they come together, built up by God's planning, when they come together and in their lives, they intercede for the world. They worship and pray And labor and struggle and hope for the world that as they worship and as they serve as a kingdom of priests, the world will see the beauty of God's building and say, who is that God? We want to worship him. We want to know him. We want his righteousness and justice and beauty and love. We want his reconciliation." And that, Peter saying, that's, that's the role of the church. God builds us up so that we can be a light through our worship and our work. So that the, the world will see and the world will be drawn to the glory of God. So if you're a Christian, it is not by accident. It is not even primarily by social influence. Although social influence absolutely played a part in you becoming a Christian, it is not the primary cause. Neither is... Um, your personal choice. And I know that goes against our cultural assumptions, but neither is your personal choice the main factor in why you became a Christian, although it is a factor. The main factor as to why you're a Christian, according to Peter, is because you are chosen. God chose you. It's like Jesus said to his disciples, You didn't choose me, I chose you and appointed you to bear much fruit, fruit that will last. It's no accident that you're a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, I don't think it's an accident that you're here today. So keep listening. So as a Christian, you are a part by God's intentional design. You're a part of this master blueprint. Through Jesus Christ, God has planned that you would be a part of this whole remaking of humanity. You're a part of the remaking, the rebuilding of humanity set on Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone, as the foundation stone. And Peter's words here not only highlight the mind of God, you know, his intentional purpose and his design. Not only the mind of God do you see in Peter's words, but you see the heart of God also. The Christian is not only chosen and precious like Jesus Sorry, I kind of gave it away there. The Christian is not only chosen like Jesus, but the Christian is also precious. Jesus is chosen and precious, and so are you in Christ. Just like you see intentionality in Peter's words, you also see a strong sense of worth in what Peter is saying. Not self-worth, not the worth you give yourself, When you look in the mirror or think about yourself or post on social media what you want people to see and think about you, not that kind of worth, not what other people say about you. It's a worth that's derived from God. So a Christian, in a sense, this is kind of a practical definition of a Christian. A Christian is someone who derives her worth from God's intended purpose. And so a Christian is someone who has a new foundation for her life. The old foundation, what you've been building up, that's that's gone. And you reestablish yourself. You let God reestablish you on Jesus Christ as a new foundation for your living, for how you think, how you see the world and yourself. You have a new foundation. You have a new cornerstone now, and you're set in place with other living stones. Because stones don't set themselves. The builder has to find the right choice stone and set it. And now as a Christian, you have been set with other living stones on Christ, who is our foundation. And we're set together. And God is building us up into a beautiful structure to praise and glorify him. So Christians have a connectivity by virtue of being set together together in christ we don't relate this is interesting we don't relate to one another directly as christians we relate to one another through jesus and that's really important you may be thinking what do you mean i don't directly relate to people of course i do well yeah 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 but not the way the world does see when, the world, when people in the world relate to one another apart from Christ, there's nothing to filter out all the dysfunction. When we just relate directly to one another, we bring in all the dysfunction and all the hate and all the prejudice, and, and um, uh, we, bring the, we bring all of that into our relationship. And it's just raw on raw. But when we relate to one another In Christ, through Christ, now Jesus mediates all of that dysfunction. So that when we come to one another and talk to one another and live with one another and plan and serve with one another, through Christ being set together in him, well, he takes care of all that dysfunction and all of that brokenness and all of that rebellion. He takes care of all of that. So it's actually better to relate to one another in Christ than in an unmitigated way in our natural setting. The apostle, I'll show you it's true. The apostle Paul even talked about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he was talking about reconciliation. And he said, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. The flesh means just the worldly way of doing things without Jesus. We regard no one according to the flesh. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And so our connection to Jesus, I'm sorry, our our connection to each other is literally set in stone, although it's a spiritual concept. The German scholar and pastor, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was imprisoned and eventually executed by the Nazis for his anti-Nazi behavior and mentality and work. Uh, Before he was imprisoned, uh, he spent time in Europe, and he spent time in America, and he did some writing, and he wrote a book called Life Together, all about Christian community. It was before he was imprisoned, but I will say that these words come from a man who experienced Christian community as a free person, And experience Christian community as a prisoner. And in his book, Life Together, he makes this comment. Not what a man is in himself as a Christian, his spirituality and piety, constitutes the basis of our community. What determines our brotherhood is what that man is by reason of Christ. Our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to all of us he went on to write that Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize it is rather a reality created by God in Christ we in which we may participate and the distinction there is really important Christian community is not an ideal that we try and achieve. It is a reality that's been set by God in which we may now participate. And the distinction is really important because we are not building the church. Some of of us remember planning about and asking God to start this new thing that we now call Deep Run Church, but we didn't build it. We're a part of it, but we didn't build it. We're not building Christianity. We're not advancing God's kingdom. He's advancing his kingdom. We don't build the church. It's been built. What we do by faith is participate in it. Is trust in this thing, in this motley group of people that God calls his house. Faith is participating in what God has already built. Faith is choosing to live by God's grace in his household with your brothers and sisters and crazy uncles uh, and senile relatives. Faith embraces people that are very different than you, people who come from different places and talk differently and look at the world differently and, and have different cultural and political assumptions uh, and dress differently and make different amounts of money Faith embraces people that are very different from you for whom Christ also died. And that's what makes us a family. That Christ's foundation is his death and his resurrection. And his Holy Spirit indwelling every believer. That's the foundation. And by faith, we say, okay, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to participate in this. And trust you with the people you put me with. And learn how to be something beautiful together. Now, you know, termites, because if you sell a house and you buy a house, you have to have a, one of the inspections you need. It's a termite inspection. Because if a bunch of termites get into one of the supporting beams in your house and infest it, it disrupts and compromises the structural integrity of your home. You don't want that. Right? Well, just like termites can infest one of your major beams, a spirit of dissatisfaction can infest the church. You're tempted You're tempted to come to me as your pastor and complain about your brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm tempted to go to other pastors and complain about you. Ah, I'm just kidding. I would
0: <laughs> never
1: in my right mind do that, but I'm not always in my right mind, so... Um, but you know, we we're just tempted to be dissatisfied. There's that person in your community group that just talks too much. There's that person that sits behind you when you come to worship, and they always sing way out of tune, and you can't focus. <laughs> People are laughing. <laughs> don't look around don't look behind you, whatever you do right now. You know, the preacher just doesn't sound as good as those radio preachers, you know, or the people you listen to on YouTube or the, the you know, the people you, you, you subscribe to their, to their um, what's the word, uh, podcast, thank you. Oh, I'm not old enough to remember that in the moment. I'm too old to remember that in the moment. Yeah, you know, the preacher just isn't up to snuff according to YouTube standards and TED Talk standards. Um, you know, you just kind of wish, you just wish they would sing your favorite song. More often. It's really frustrating having to worship with and serve with people who just have different political views than you do. And on and on and on our dissatisfaction can grow. And so we're always seeking something better or someone better. We're always looking for that mountaintop experience. You know, you go to a retreat and you're blown away and you feel like you've, you've been on the mountaintop and you, you saw Jesus transfigured and now you're back down on the ground with everybody else and this boring church, boring community group, boring prayer, boring reading the Bible. And man, you just want to get back to that amazing retreat experience that you had that one time. Or you go, you know, I, I just, I think I just need to find another church or I need another relationship. I need a, another best friendship. I need, I need to work somewhere else. I just, I need to move on because I'm bored of this. This is just annoying. Now listen, I know this is sensitive. Am I saying there's never a good reason to leave a relationship or a church or a group of people? No, there are good reasons. But I'm not talking about that today. I'm talking about... The household of God. And by faith, participating in something that God has already built and by purpose has brought you to. Um, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer also said that if we can't appreciate just the simple blessings that God has given us, just the mundane spiritual blessings. That we deal with every Sunday and every Wednesday night and throughout our week. If, if we can't appreciate just the everyday saints that surround us and serve alongside of us and pray with us. If we can't appreciate the simplest things, wh- why would God entrust to us the greater blessings to appreciate? Like conversions and revival and the transformation of our community and our society and culture. Why would God entrust to us those amazing blessings that we're always hoping we'll see and get if we can't thank him and have contentment, the most simple things and the most simple, though maybe odd, brothers and sisters, like the guy talking to you? <laughs> I did hear an amen It's no wonder that Western Christianity is struggling so much uh, because we have individualized our religious experience and we have consumerized our expectations for what the church is all about. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote that really what's happening is, and he said this almost a century ago, but what's happening is we are living by the wrong type of love. And he compares... We have life together, by the way, on the book table. But he compares he compares a worldly love with a spiritual love, a human love. And it's just kind of how we love left to our own devices, our natural way of loving. And a spiritual love, a love that only God can give. And he wrote that human love lives by uncontrolled and uncontrollable dark desires. And James even said, why do you... In the book of James, he said, why do you fight so much? Because you have these desires, you don't get what you want, so you fight with one another. It's just not getting what you desire. And that's why you have so much conflict. Your capacity to love others and your capacity to receive love, without God's help, that capacity is it's driven by desire. It's driven by what you want and what you think you need. And the proof of that is exactly what James said in James chapter 4. When you don't get what you desire, you look for a new relationship. You look for a new circumstance, for a new best friend, for a new community group, for a new church, for a new job, whatever. You know? Um, And again, there are good reasons to leave something. But that's not what I'm talking about today. What I want to talk about today is being satisfied In God's household. The Christian is chosen by God. The Christian is precious. Because God has chosen you. And you can be satisfied in his house. Through a different kind of love. Again, Bonhoeffer talked about this human love. That is all about desire. But he said spiritual love lives in the clear light of service. Ordered by the truth. On that night at that dinner table when Jesus told his disciples, one of you is going to betray me. And when he said, you are the branches and I am the vine. Remain in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In that same conversation, Jesus said, this is my commandment that you love one another. Here's the catch. As I have loved you. See, love is grounded. Real love is grounded in the truth. That Jesus put his desires aside and served you and served us. And he went on to say greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. That's spiritual love. That's the true love. True love doesn't set expectations on other people according to your needs. Now think about that if you're a leader in the church, and even if you're a parent, or even if you're a boss, but you're... you're, you're, uh, Even if you have authority at work, but you're a Christian, true love does not set expectations on other people according to your needs. See, love gives all that up. True love gives it all up because you realize, you discover, I already have everything I need in Jesus. Jesus, through his death and resurrection and his spirit indwelling me, has given me All that I need, I am accepted by God. I am precious to God because he has chosen me on purpose. He didn't make a mistake with me. And I have the love of God because of Jesus. And that's my new foundation. I have everything I need. And so I'm not going to demand things from you. Bonhoeffer went on to write, We are bound together by faith, not by experience. We're bound together by faith, he wrote. And the more thankfully we daily receive what is given to us, the more surely and readily will fellowship increase and grow from day to day as God pleases. So when you're satisfied in Jesus, you find that you are becoming content with his people. And then God's household, it, it becomes for you, you know, despite our sin and our ugliness, and you're hurt, God's household, it becomes a precious place. Not the household. Forget about the household you grow up in now. God's got, there's another household, right? And Jesus said that same night to his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many rooms. And this is a paraphrase. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to bring you there to be with me one day. So it's hard, to, it's hard to trust the church because we're all messed up. But Jesus is perfecting his church. Jesus is perfecting this house. And as you find your satisfaction in him alone and learn to love as he loved, then his household becomes a precious place for you. And stories of faith begin to line the walls and, and the door frames and the window frames and the walkways and the paths and the gardens. And, and you start showing people these beautiful stories of faith in God's house. Come on over here. I want, I want to show you something in my father's house. I w- come over here and look at this. This is, this is exactly where I first heard about Jesus. This is, r- this is where somebody first explained to me who Jesus was and why it was important. Hold on. Come here. I want you to come down here. This is where... A brother of mine once told me. You need to stop finding your worth in what people think of you. And find your worth in what Jesus has done for you. You need to do this. Let me come over here. I want to show you something. This is, this is, where, this is where we learned that it takes just as much faith to receive help from others as it does to give help to others. And hold on, one more thing. You really got to see this before you go. Right here, this is where I learned how to forgive the people who have hurt me. Oh, oh, and I just, I love this house. I just got to keep telling you. And this, this, this is the place Where I learned how to give without expecting anything in return. This is my father's house. And in God's house, every person is chosen and every person is precious. And every person is needed. Therefore, everyone is welcome. If you feel like an outcast, you've come to the right place. We are all oddballs, all right? I don't care how cool you think you are. When the world looks at us, we're a bunch of oddballs. And that's okay because Jesus was rejected. Jesus was chosen and precious by God. The world couldn't see it and the world rejected him. But he was chosen and precious and God laid him as the foundation for a beautiful new building. And you're a brick in that building and I'm a brick. You ever think that being called a brick would be a compliment? You're a brick, and I'm a brick, and we've been set together in this beautiful new thing that God is building, set on Christ as our cornerstone, yeah? So, maybe for the first time in your life, or think about this, because this is reality, if you're already a Christian, establish yourself on Jesus. Hmm? Let God set you on him, and begin to serve others knowing that you are an integral piece of the entire structure. Okay? Now let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you for making us your family. Uh, We have a hard time being patient with each other, and sometimes we are freaked out uh, by the people you put us with. But you've adopted all of us, so help us to stop running out of the house like orphans and stay. And stay by faith. Uh, Lord, I praise you for what you're doing in the world. And what you're doing through the Christian community. I pray that you would make us a healthy community of faith. uh, For your glory. And Lord, for anybody here who is not convinced he or she belongs in your household. I I ask you, Father, to assure them of it right now. Amen.